0: Grace and peace to you. I'm Vicar Derek Cabilis, and this is Exile Cast for Wednesday, January the 5th, in the year of our Lord 2022. Well, Happy New Year to you. And let me just say, I know we have this uh, tradition of making resolutions for the new year. But you know, I gotta say, and and I hate to say it, but I think I need to. I, I think it often does more harm than good. I can't tell you how many folks I've met over the years who have spent their Januaries and their Februarys just mired in guilt and self-loathing because they didn't stick to that diet or the gym regimen or the new prayer habit, whatever it is. In fact, I, I don't know if I've ever known anyone who lost a lot of weight or made some other super positive change in their life and then when i asked them they attributed their success to the power of the new year's resolution there aren't many stories of victory that began at eleven fifty-nine on december 31st and trust me i've been there and done that you know, and I I, I I, don't mean to dispirit you if you're right in the middle of this thing and you've been doing well for the last five or six days, whatever. I don't want you to listen to me and then fall off the bandwagon, but just know that there are other ways to begin habits, okay? That should your resolutions fail, there are kinder ways... Uh, methods of lifestyle transformation that don't involve guilt or shame or bitter disappointment. Now, I'm no expert in these things. But I am someone who has known a lot of people. And I've gotten to know a lot of people in a very deep way. Folks give me access to their minds and hearts and spirits in ways that they don't give to a lot of other people. And the one thing I can tell you is that most of the time, people don't change unless they want to. Now, hear what I'm trying to tell you. They don't change because they want to want to. They change because some part of their soul, very deep inside, wants it. And if they don't change, it's usually because that part hasn't flipped yet. It's very difficult to transform a part of your life that you're not yet willing to let go of. And I can't tell you how many times I've tried, you know, whether it's losing weight or new spiritual habits or exercise, working around the house, whatever it is, how many times I've tried to change. Most of the time when I've had to try really hard to make that change, I, I failed. That's when I fail. And then I'm left thinking that I don't have any willpower, I don't have any grit, so on and so forth. But there have been some things that I have changed. There have been some things that I have transformed. And at those times, when I actually succeeded in changing something, was when I, I, I finally let go of what I was hanging on to. It wasn't about gritting my teeth and holding on to the new habit. It was about letting go of the old one. Either because I I found out that I replaced it with something else, there was something else that I loved more, that, that, that took its place in my life, or because something inside of me just gave. And my desire for that thing simply fell away. That's all the advice I have for you during this odd season of the new year, this arbitrary time when people stress themselves out trying to change something about their lives when there's no sunlight and it's really cold and the sky is gray. And don't get me wrong, I'm all for transformation. I mean, that's what religion is. It's, it's growth. It's becoming something more today than you were yesterday and having hope for the future. On the best day, that's what religion is. But the thing we have to realize is that those bad things in our lives are there because some part of us loves them some part of us hangs on to them and nurses them and takes comfort from them like a a blanket to a toddler. And as long as we love them, as long as we find ourselves attached to them, they'll never release their grip from us. So there has to be something we love more. Or perhaps, someone we love more. Someone, with a capital O, in whom we can find our ultimate comfort and our highest peace. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the soul is a hand, in a manner of speaking it's just a hand that's what it is and and you can adorn a hand with rings and gloves finger polish henna tattoos all those things that that you think make your your soul beautiful but at the end of the day the hand can really only hold on to one thing at a time so what is the hand of your soul really and truly grasp maybe trying to pick up one more thing isn't the answer right now maybe what we all have to do is learn how to let go thanks for listening we have a sermon for you today from Epiphany Sunday so stick around This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, the second chapter. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star and its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, This is the word of God for us, the people of God. God. Amen. I wish to preach to you today from the title, Whence the Nugget Comes. Whence the Nugget Comes. Please pray with me. And now, most holy and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It all started when Gabby was four years old. Her mom surprised her one night with a a happy meal one evening for dinner. And they sat eating their food on the back porch. But Gabby, being four, happened to drop one of her chicken nuggets on the ground. Her mom told her, of course, that it was now dirty, and that she shouldn't eat it. But that little nugget did not go to waste. Gabby and her mother watched with wonder as a crow flew down from a nearby tree, intrepidatiously hopped its way over to the nugget lying in the grass, scoped it up in its beak and flew off. Gabby laughed excitedly and her mother grinned as they finished their dinner and they enjoyed their evening. Sometime later, her mom was cleaning Gabby's room and there she found a shoebox. She curiously opened it up and inside found Odd things. There were old and broken buttons, a few uh, rusty nails and nuts, uh, an earring she didn't recognize, uh, a marble, old chicken bones, broken Legos, uh, random shards of glass. And she said, what is all this junk? And her mom was ready to pitch the box in the garbage. But before she could, when she saw her with it, Gabby snatched it from her hands and cried out, be careful with that. Those are my gifts. As it turned out, for the past four years, Gabby had been pilfering little morsels of lunch and dinner. And then when nobody was looking, she was tossing these surreptitious snacks to the crows in her backyard. And the crows, in turn, had been leaving these little trinkets on the porch. And this is a true story. You can Google it on the internet if you want. just just Google Gabby Crow and the story will come up for you. A hundred stories will come up with for you. Her family lives in Seattle and to this day they still feed the crows and the crows still bring them little trinkets. There was one day when her mom was taking pictures of a bald eagle more than a, a block away from their house. And somewhere along the way, she dropped her lens cap somewhere and lost it. But sure enough, the next day, there was a round black disc floating in the bird bath. Now, that's a nice. Sentimental story. That's what the, the news calls a, a human interest piece, right? But certainly it doesn't really mean anything, does it? You don't have to be too cynical to assume that this is just some kind of learned behavior on behalf of the crows. What, what biologists might call operant conditioning, Certainly, the crows weren't meaning to express gratitude or or pay some kind of respect or honor to that little girl. Surely, they aren't really saying thank you. Well, I don't know. My dog, Beowulf, does this thing. In the evenings, after his walk, we usually fix him his dinner. And he gobbles it down really quickly. And um, then, invariably, he finds one of us, whether we're on the couch or sitting in a chair, wherever we are, and he simply sits down and looks at us. And eventually, one of us will lean over and, and scratch his head for just a moment. And from there, he'll go and lay down. His brother doesn't do any of this, by the way. But Beowulf does it, not every day, maybe not even most days, but he does it often enough that we've noticed that there seems to be a ritual to it for him. That for him, it seems to have a purpose, some kind of meaning, so much so that without even thinking or talking about it among ourselves, Maggie and I just started saying you're welcome. Oh, Vicar Derek. That's very sweet in all, but now you're just being silly, right? You're anthropomorphizing your dog and those crows. You're you're reading your own humanity and rationality into their behavior. I mean... What are we really saying here? That animals express gratitude? That even irrational beasts can show thankfulness and pay respect? That there is some a fundamental part of all living things that somehow acknowledges and appreciates the fact that none of us exist of and through ourselves, but rather that we live in some kind of web of of mutual grace and interdependence and homage that infuses the very fabric of life itself? Nah. That's crazy. Why, if that were true, then you would think that every human culture on earth would have some kind of ritual of gratitude. That every nation in people everywhere around the globe, independently of one another, would would develop some uh, ceremonies. their own traditions that would serve as a collective acknowledgement that none of us exist of our own power and authority, that every moment of existence itself is a gift from some kind of uh, creator or higher power to whom we all owe thanks and homage I mean, if that were true, you would almost expect every culture on earth to have its own religion. Magi came from the east, asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star and its rising, and have come to pay him homage. Now, for those of you who have been here, you've heard me say this before, but for those who haven't, every single year, I have to go out of my way to remind everyone that the Magi, despite how much we may like the song, the Magi are not kings, okay? That's something we started calling them a long time ago, so that the Bible wouldn't be so provocative, Nor does it say anywhere that there were three of them. Nor does it say anywhere that they were simply wise men. As if three college professors came to to Israel to find the baby Jesus. No, the church has always known who the Magi were. We were just too scared to talk about it. The Magi were astrologers. More specifically, they were astrologer priests from the Zoroastrian religion of Persia. These were the kinds of priests, and they still exist today. These are the kind of priests that cast spells and incantations. The magi are, for lack of a better term, wizards. They're sorcerers. In fact, their very name is where we get the term magic. And that was a big deal to first century Jews and early Christians. They they were scared of magic, okay? They, they thought it was evil. To them, this wasn't like... Gandalf or fun little Harry Potter books and movies. To them, magic was out there somewhere and it it represented a real threat and they thought that those who wielded such power were dark and demonic. Yet Matthew still chooses to tell us that even the sorcerers came to pay homage to the newborn king. They came most likely from the, last, from the land of Persia, which is modern-day Iran. Now, we might look at a map and say, oh yeah, Iran, that's pretty close to Israel, but at the time, in Judea, Persia was as far east as most people knew how to go. For the average Jew in first century Judea, Persia may as well have been the eastern edge of the world. It was a dark and mysterious land thought to be ruled by these wizards who drew their magical powers from the stars. They were as foreign as foreign could be, as different as different can be. And yet... Matthew tells us that even they came to pay homage with gold, frankincense, and myrrh being their version of marbles, buttons, and earrings. It's funny how we use that word, isn't it? Homage. We say, pay homage we don't usually say to give homage or bestow homage or even uh donate homage you wouldn't say that your mortgage check is a donation to the bank i don't say man you know what i might just bless my student loan this month (laughs) now that used to be my attitude just ask my credit score But in cultures and religions all over the world, we say that we pay homage because homage is something that we owe. It's something that we all recognize collectively as obligatory, or at least some of us do. Let me put it this way. Do you really think Those wizards wanted to walk across the deserts of Iran, Iraq, Syria, and Jordan, just to arrive in Bethlehem and see a toddler? No, this wasn't a vacation for them. They were drawn there. They were pulled there by a star, it says in the story. Even their own astrology, even their own sorcery that that evolved completely separately from, from the God of Israel, even that still bent them toward Bethlehem and bid them to bow down to the newborn king. That's what the word means, by the way. In Greek, the word for homage is proskunosai. And it literally means to prostrate oneself, to bow or bend the knee, or even to lie prone face down on the ground. Now, to us Americans, there's something about that that doesn't really sit well with us, isn't there? Like lying prostrate or bending the knee. It's all a bit monarchical, isn't it? Like a little close to something we would have been expected to do for, oh, I don't know, King George, right? But that's the thing. Kings and lords... And even bad priests and pastors, despots, and human masters of all kinds have stolen God's homage over the years. They have taken the respect, the honor, and the reverence that we rightly owe to our God, the only giver of life and grace, and they have hijacked it time and again for themselves. In fact, that's what makes kings and lords and Caesars so terrible is that they steal the buttons and the lug nuts that rightly belong to Christ. In English, the word homage comes from the word hominus, which in Latin just means human. Literally, it means of the human, which is to say that, that paying a homage is intrinsically and inescapably human. It is human to bow down and give thanks. It is human to revere. It is so wonderfully human to worship the one who rightly deserves it. I'm going to share a really unpopular opinion, okay? And I think um, I, I think I know why it's unpopular, but I'm going to share it anyway. I think we all should pray each and every single day. And I don't mean when we're driving in our car someplace or when we have a few minutes at work or just maybe if it hits our mind to do so while we're working in the garden or whatever. I think each of us should take time out of our day if we aren't all ready to pray. And I think that we should worship our God once a week, together, either online or here in person, whatever the case may be, even when we're busy, even when we don't feel like it, even when we're on vacation. You know there are churches in other towns, right? And of course, one would expect the guy in the dress and the sparkly scarf to say that. But believe it or not, it's become really uncouth for preachers to say that sort of a thing, lest we be thought of as too religious or severe. Nowadays, we don't like to talk about religion as if it's an obligation. We don't even like to talk about religion. We prefer to say things like being spiritual and having a relationship with Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that except if we use it to imagine that we're having a relationship with another crow. The average United Methodist goes to church eight times a year. And that's a pre pandemic statistic. As much as all of us think of ourselves as being Christians, many of us don't find the desire, the need to pray on our own time, to set aside time in our days, in our weeks just to pay our homage, just to give our thanks and our reverence. And I get it, I feel it too. Our lives are too busy, our schedules are too full. In this society, our time is too precious. (sighs) Sometimes I don't do my daily prayers. Sometimes I even fail at that relationship that we are talking about. But I don't, or at least I try not, to set my standards lower because I fail. I try not to expect less of myself in that regard because God never lowers God's standards for me. No matter how many times I forget, or I think I'm too busy, or that, that, that everything else gets in the way in my life, I think. No, no matter what happens or what kind of excuse I come up with, God never lets anything get in the way of God's grace for me. No, just like Gabby, the amazing consistency by which God provides for me, day by day, grace and nourishment that God leaves in the grass for us, that should elicit our effort. It should elicit our ritual that daily bread ought to elicit daily thanks and praise in our relationship with God if we are the crows and Jesus is the little girl and we don't seem to to feel ourselves being pulled like wizards from the deserts of the east to bring the trinkets of our hearts and the tokens of our spirits to lay on her porch every day, then maybe it's because we fail to recognize that the nuggets in the grass come from her. If we don't feel that tug to pay our homage. It's not because we're bad, or evil, or lazy, or anything else like that. For most of us, if we don't feel that tug, it's because we don't recognize whence the nuggets that nourish ourselves truly come. Homage, my friends, is not just respect, nor is it religion, nor is it even obligation. Homage, true homage, is thanks. But here's the thing. Every time the crows came to that little girl, all they brought to her was something they found. A little piece of their life, their world, a morsel of the day of a 21st century crow. Sure, it was the same act, the same ritual, day after day for years and years. But each time, their homage took a different shape as the crows had something new to offer from their experience that day. Rusty paper clips, old Legos, trash, garbage, refuse in the world of little girls, but because it came from her precious crows, the little girl counted each and every trinket To be an absolute treasure. These words I offer to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. And let me just say, if you've taken any comfort or wisdom from this podcast ministry of our church, I hope you'll go to our website and make a donation uh, to our work through our PayPal account. I'll leave a link in the description for you. I know that um, some folks don't have the means to donate. That's totally fine. But these are tough times for churches with COVID and all of that and Every little bit helps. Also, I do hope that you're being careful out there. This Omicron thing is going crazy, man. I know maybe 15 or 20 people that are sick right now. And I know I've certainly been exposed in the last week, so I'm laying low until Sunday so I can preside for our church service. But I hope that if you're out and about that you're wearing your mask and you're keeping your distance and i sincerely hope you've gotten your booster shot already and if not it really isn't too late i don't know who's been telling you not to get it who's been telling you not to vaccinate yourself um but for me it's about helping out our hospitals the doctors, and the nurses, and the custodians, and the office workers, and the food workers. All those folks here in Ohio, at least, have been pushed to the absolute breaking point. And while you may not go into the hospital, you might make someone else sick, who potentially will. And you're going to add to their burden. And I know you don't want to do that. So I'm asking you now to do your part, love your neighbor, make an appointment, get that boost, get that vaccination. And now, friends, may the love of God the Father, the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and be with you now and always. Amen. Thank you.